Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. What do I need to cover from the Word of God today? And I think what we're going to cover today, if you can get this, you'll be able to get the rest. Okay? Doesn't mean that there won't be work to do and and things to work through. But if you can get this one thing, it's going to change everything else. And now, there's a bunch of you here today who aren't married. And you think, okay, marriage sermon, check out. Let's see if it's on Facebook, right? I encourage you not to do that because... What we're going to be talking about today, although the application is directly into marriage, what we're going to talk about today is something that if you get a hold of this, you can actually begin living it now, and you can begin working on your marriage whenever that happens now, okay? Because the truth we're going to look at is bigger than marriage, And if you're here and you've already been married and you aren't married anymore for some reason and you're thinking you're never going to be married again, it's still valuable for you to know this. It's going to help you in living your own Christian life and help you to help others who are married. So let's talk about marriage a little bit. Uh, I remember when I got married. How many of you who are married still remember? Even Howie and Jeanette remember. That's good. Long time. You remember that. You remember the things. I mean, I remember when I I met my wife. I was uh, 19 years old, and uh, I met her at the aisle of the church. Really, I mean, I you know someone was pointing her out to me, and and I I remember she came walking down the aisle of the church. I've told you this story before. Remember, I know what she was wearing. A long red was it checks? What about a gingham uh, maxi dress? You guys remember maxi dresses? Okay. And are they coming back? Cool. Uh, and saddle Oxford shoes. And beautiful, I mean, just, and I, and I stood there and, and I was so classy. I was so whatever you want to call it that I just was overtaken. And I stood there and I went like this and went. And she looked at me like, what are you doing? And her face kind of turned red and took off. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, you know, I began to pursue her and we pursued the relationship and, and we ended up, you know, so exciting and we, I was fairly new believer and growing in my face, she had grown up in a Christian home, but it was so exciting what God was doing. And so then we got married, September 2nd, 1978. And I don't know who the picture of that guy is with my wife. That's what I want to know. Okay. So this was us on our wedding day. And I think most of us, you know, on our, our, our wedding days, you know, we, we're excited. It's, it's, we're looking forward to things. It's, it's such a great thing. All right, but so then here's the reality in all of our marriages and what we begin to experience is that there, there is the honeymoon period, right? And then that kind of wears off. Sometimes it's sooner rather than later. Sometimes, you know, people go a long time. But then certain realities set in. Life happens. Kids come, work. And, and you go and you get busy and then, you know, you have the natural struggles between two human beings. Add to that two different genders. Add to that all the stress of the relationship. And, and it isn't unusual for couples to find themselves a number of years down the road, sadly sometimes sooner, but really 
You know, what used to be that man is now that man or that woman. And because we find ourselves distanced from each other, you know, we're just kind of walking two different paths and, and, and marriage just isn't the same thing that it used to be for us. And sure, yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. And, and, and there's a lot of good in marriage. Let me just say that to you. Marriage is it's worth being married. <coughs> Here's the deal. When it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's horrible. It's horrible. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say really bad. Yes. And so how do we deal with all this? You know, how, how, how is it that things don't just roll on? I mean, you think you're going to marry the love of your life and it's just going to get better and better and better and better. And it can, but the reality is that most of us don't experience it that way. So what's going on? Where does this problem come from? And, and what ends up happening for a lot of people, one of two things typically happens to people. Either they just call it quits and walk away, right? They either call it quits and walk away and get divorced or separated or whatever, or... They just live, they live with it. And they, they live with the desperation of it. So, so let's go to the word of God and see uh, what the source of all this is. Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we encourage you to follow along with us. If you don't have your own Bible with you today, or you, maybe you're looking at a different translation than we're using, there's a Bible in the pew that you can follow along with. That, grab that Bible out of the pew. We're going to be on page 3. We're going to start on page 3 of the Bible today and work our way through. You guys still there? Okay. Genesis chapter 2. We'll start in verse number 18. And this is the word of God. This is what God gave us. And by the way, this talks about Adam and Eve, the creation of man and woman. And, and you might be asking, do you really believe that? You know what Genesis says? And let me say this, that, that we do. And the reason we do is because Jesus did. Jesus believed it. The one who rose from the dead, proving himself to be the son of God, God in human form. He talked about Adam and Eve and these events as historical events. And so, yes, we do believe these things. Chapter 2, starting in verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Okay, so right off the bat, we're going to see that whose idea was marriage? God's idea. Marriage was God's idea and intended to be a blessing to us. He didn't, it wasn't good that man should be alone. There should be two of us whenever possible. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. That was earlier. And this says, and now he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now, you know, you wonder, why did God do it this way? Well, my sense is this, is that God did this with Adam to make it very clear to Adam what he was missing, okay? So Adam would sense, wow, there's two of every kind but me. I'm alone. And God had said it's not good that he'd be alone. So verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he, God, took one of his ribs, Adam's ribs, and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. 
Let's just stop there. So God takes a part of Adam and makes another human being. So there is a, a, a close connection and a bond here between these two. Verse 23, Adam's response. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so God has brought them together already. And there's, Adam already has an awareness of this closeness to her. Because she came out of me. She's part of me. And by the way, when we get married, and we're going to see, but one flesh, the Bible talks about, we do become a part of each other. We do become, it's not just about a physical relationship, it's about a becoming a oneness to us, which is why when divorce occurs, there's always a tearing, and always an injury, and always a hurt, and leaves people hurting. So, Verse 24, therefore, here's what the scripture says about this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This idea, this oneness. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So total openness between them, intimacy of soul and body, becoming one. It's, it sounds awesome, doesn't it? It sounds like what we want, doesn't it? It sounds like, you know, the picture of me on my wedding day. That's what this sounds like. So what happened? Well, here in chapter 3, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Let's start in verse number 6. God had told them, remember, you can only eat, of, you can eat anything you want, just not this one thing. And, of course, Satan came along and, and got them to believe a lie. And what do they do? Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And, and what I want you to see is what happened here. When they chose to disobey God, when sin came into the world, the immediate consequence was what was before open and without any holding. This, this open intimacy now becomes a, ooh, hiding. See, that's what sin does. One of the reasons that you have problems in your marriage is because of sin. Not necessarily because of yours, although that probably always gets in the mix. But because of the curse of sin in the world. And we struggle to to get beyond this and to become openly intimate with each other again. I'm not talking again about, you know, the, you can't have the physical relationship. No, we're just talking about intimacy of soul. All right, so we see this. God, you know, confronts them about their disobedience and then God tells them what's going to happen and the problems are going to come. Thankfully, in the middle of it, he promises a savior that's going to come one day. But then he says this in verse 16. He says, to the woman, he said... I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. So let's stop right there. In other words, the, the, it's not just the pain of childbearing, it's the pain of child rearing. Okay? The difficulty of raising a family has come because sin has come into the world. Uh, go down to verse number 17. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the, sweet of your face, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread 
till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so to Adam, he says, work has now become difficult. Work has become hard. It isn't going to be easy to do what needs to be done anymore. So we have uh, coming to the woman and huge impact on her. Really, you know, it's pain, difficulties in, in childbearing and raising children. And to the husband, great difficulties and problems in work. And then the two of them together, let's go back up to verse 16. The last part of verse 16. In the middle of all this, he says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. You're both going to be in a hard place. You're both going to need help. And that's going to be a hard thing to make happen. Now, here's why. He says, your desire shall be for your husband. What he's saying here to the, to the woman is this, that, that you are going to look to your husband to be certain things for you. You're going to look for him to, to treat you in such a way that you feel secure. You're going to look for him to treat you in a way that you feel safe. You're going to look to him to treat you in a way that you feel cherished. And you're going to look to him for all these things, but the problem is he can't give them to you sufficiently. You're going to have a desire for certain things from your husband. And what are you going to get instead? It says, and by the way, let me back up. Those responses, this looking for those things really is a replacing of God. Okay? In other words, no human being can ever make you feel totally secure. Only God can do that. And so when a woman looks to her husband, expects him to act in certain ways, talk in certain ways, do certain things a certain way, so that she feels secure, that's not, he can't do it. Okay, we can go on down the list, whatever it is to desire. This is where the frustrations come in, that, that she's looking to him for this. And what is his response? What is his natural response? What's it say? He shall what? It's in the Bible there. He shall rule over her. This is by this is, this is what God is telling us here is not an order of how things are supposed to be. He's telling us here the reality of what happens in a sin-cursed relationship. And so he will rule over her in one of two ways. Either he will be dominant and domineering and push back because I tell you what, she's looking for things from him that he feels like I can't give. I don't know how to give this. I can't give this. And so he responds in one of two ways. He rules either by dominating or he rules by becoming passive. And just in one ear and out the other. Let it go, let it go. And so he's not benefiting He's struggling in this relationship. She's not benefiting. She's struggling in the middle of this relationship. And see, can I, can I just say something to you now? What caused that? What caused that problem? Three-letter word. What caused that problem? Sin. Can we get something in our minds today that when we sin, when we choose to set aside what God says and do anything else, that's sin. And every time we do that, it never brings good things. It might bring a temporary sense of relief, but it always brings big problems with it. So we have to get to God's way of doing things. So how do we, how do we overcome this in our marriages? How do we overcome this powerful curse that's in our world and in our lives? 
Well, there's a, something I found. It's not even talking directly about marriage, but it's a way of looking at life. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's page 1329, 1329 in the Bible that's there in the pews. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we have the sin problem. Sin came into the world that separated us from God. Our sin separated us from Him. Uh, we're left to our own devices to try to live life. Uh, it's, if we die in that condition, separated from God, the Bible says that we will be separated from God forever in a place called hell, which is why Jesus came, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus came, died in our place for our sins, paying that penalty, rose again from the dead. And if we will acknowledge that we have sinned and need a savior and place our trust in Jesus and what he did for us, the Bible says God forgives every sin. We have heaven when we die. And he comes and lives in us now and begins changing us from the inside out. And so that is crucial to being able to live out these things that we're talking about here today. And so that is the context of someone who has received Christ as Savior that we want to look at here. In verse number 9 of chapter 5. It says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, to Christ. And then let's go down to verse number 14. Actually, look at verse 15. Talking about Christ. It says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him. So what do you do in your life? What kinds of things do you do in your life? Are they things that you're doing for him? Things that you're doing for the Lord? My understanding of what he's saying here is those of us who have come to Christ, when we receive Christ as Savior, right? We, we've done that by faith and he's coming in. He says, from now on, we don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for Christ. And, and there's some uh, ramifications of that. Let's look here. Um, verse 16, he says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. And, and let's stop there. Let me explain what we're talking about here. When he says according to the flesh in this situation, what he means is we, we no longer just look at other people on a horizontal level. We no longer look at other people as just whatever comes natural here in this relationship. No, because now my relationship with you becomes about pleasing him. Do you see the difference? Before it was about what pleases me or what I think and what you think, but now it's what does God think? What does God want in this situation? When I have a relationship with you, what does God want me to be in that relationship to you? How does he want me to treat you in this relationship? What are his goals for this relationship? We no longer regard people just as other people. Now they are people that God has put into our lives and us into their lives for God's purposes. What are those purposes? And certainly 
this would apply to marriage. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him. All right, so here's, here's an idea. Big idea I want you to put in your head. And it's the key, going to be a key to understanding all the other things that need to happen. Marriage is ministry. Because I'm married, but I'm not living for myself. I'm living for who? What did what Paul say in 2 Corinthians? Who am I living for? for? For God, for Christ. And that means that in my life, I'm living it out. I'm living for Christ. And so now I'm married. I have a wife. You have a, a wife. You have a husband. We're living for him. And so that means that now what I'm doing in this relationship is ministry. By the way, this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's going to change the way you look at it. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. This page 1346 in the Bible that's in the pew. Ephesians chapter 5. This is the, the primary uh, place in, in the scriptures that we really go and look for specifics about marriage and how it works. And we're going to start in verse number 21 with marriage and how, how do we get along? How do we respond to each other? How do we treat each other? Verse number 21. In fact, if you're there with me, would you read this out loud with me today? Verse 21. Say it. Ready? Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Okay, so that means that I have a submissive attitude towards you. In other words, I look at you and I say, you have needs. You, you have things in your life that I need to be conscious of, aware of, and I need to give myself to, to make a difference in them. Why? Because I fear God. And it was because I'm serving Christ. It's about Him. And, and you should look at me in our relationship and say, okay, you, you know, we submit ourselves. By the way, we do this, don't we? It's about giving up your preferences sometimes. It's about treating people respectfully when you might rather not, when you don't feel like you're treating them respectfully. It's about you sacrificing time or effort, going out of your way, whatever it is. But it's because you're doing this with each other. Because we aren't living life for ourselves, but for Christ, for God. Right after this, when he says, submitting yourselves to one another, he tells us, how do we do this in marriage? How do we submit ourselves to one another in marriage? So let's begin reading in verse 22. We want to think with the idea of ministry here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And, and man, this is, you know, this is so counterintuitive in our culture today. We're not talking about becoming a doormat. We're not talking about becoming a nobody. We're talking about God made you an equal partner, ladies, a helper that's comparable to your husband. It, it matches, you know, male and female, and you have great things to bring to this. Let me show you what he means when he talks about being submissive to your husband. Go down to verse 33. He says, nevertheless, let each of you, one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So having a submissive attitude toward your husband, ladies, is being respectful of him. And when we respect somebody, we, we treat them as though they are valuable, that they matter, 
that they bring something to this relationship of value and we respect them for it. All right, so this is how you do it. And, and how do you do it? Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ. What is the church's responsibility to the Lord? The church being me and you and us together. What's our responsibility to the Lord? To, to let him have that rightful place in our lives, right? To say you know, to the Lord, Lord, what, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to do it? And, and you know what the Lord often says? He'll say to us, well, how do you want to do it? Here's a big picture thing. And, and so we work together with the Lord, but he's the Lord, right? And we look to him that way. And we choose to, to reverence him and, and respond. And this is what God says for you to do to your husbands. Now, the problem is, is sometimes your husband's not very respectable, is he? I, didn't, I was trying to see if I was going to hear any amens there, and I didn't, which is a good thing, probably. Okay. But do you notice that God doesn't say a thing about if he's respectable, respect him? That's important. We're going to see the same thing for the husband with the wife. But let me say this. Let me set the stage for this. When you receive Christ as Savior, and we could look back at it back in 2 Corinthians. When you receive Christ as Savior, do you become Righteous. The Bible says you do. Okay, deep down inside of you, in your spirit, you become righteous. Now, do you live righteous yet? You still have problem with sin? And we're working on that? That's right. We are works in progress, aren't we? And God knows that and by his grace he works in our lives. But so we are works in progress, but we aren't there yet. But do you know how God treats us and, and talks about us? As though we are already righteous. That's the way he talks about us. And when he treats us that way and tells us this is the truth, you are really already righteous and you need to learn to live this out. And, and it encourages us and helps us to become righteous. Ladies, if your husband doesn't act like a very respectable kind of guy, he's not the kind of guy that's easy to respect. Your tendency is, well, I, if I respect him, he'll never get it. Am I right about that, ladies? It's, I'm putting you in a real bind here, aren't I? Asking you to respond. <laughs> but I've heard it. Well, if I treat them that way, he'll never change. Well, first of all, God, I, did anybody see anything in here about God giving you responsibility? Wives, change your husbands to be like Christ. See the brick wall there on the side of the room? See the brick wall? You might as well go over there and just start banging your head against it now. If you think you can change him. We can't, none of us can change each other. But what you can do is begin to treat him with respect. Not because he's earned it, but because Christ has told you to. And I'm not living for myself anymore, I'm living for Christ. And Christ has told me, treat this man with respect and to value him. Show him what it's, how he's supposed to submit to Christ. And as you treat him that way, over time, God will work in his life. And he will become more and more the way you're treating him. All right, let's go on. Husbands, 
Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So Jesus comes and dies for the church, gives up his life for the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Husbands, you have a responsibility to love your wives in a way where you willingly sacrifice your own comfort, maybe even your own safety, to show her that she's loved. You need to love her in a way that nourishes her soul, You need to love her in a way that she feels cherished. And you know what? By nature, you don't have a clue how to do that. Wives and husbands, the only way this is going to work is if you become dependent on God. Depend on God. God, I need to love my wife this way and I don't know how to do it. Well, here's an idea. Why don't you talk to her and ask her? Well, wait a minute. (laughs) She's all the time telling me. (laughs) Oh, maybe learn to listen. Wives learn to say it respectfully. Husbands learn to listen and care and move towards your wife and love her. Now, figuring these things out is hard. It's not always easy. Okay, I understand that. But if you will see this as ministry, if you will see what I'm talking about as husband, I, I'm going to have a ministry to my wife. I'm going to bless her. God made her to desire to be loved. I am going to love her in that way. And, and when she doesn't respond respectfully to me and all this stuff happens, it doesn't matter. I'm going to lean in and I'm going to figure out how to love her. I'm going to keep moving toward this woman because I'm going to love her the way Jesus has told me to love her. And when you do that, I guarantee it will start to change her. But whether it does or not, see, wives, whether it changes your husband or not, it doesn't matter. You're serving Christ. Husbands, whether it changes her the way you'd like or not, you're serving Christ. And I tell you, when the, I, I've, I've shared it before, when I'm in the marriage for me, when I'm trying to explain to my wife, you know, here's what would make me feel respected. I start thinking about that. You know, it isn't very long before I don't feel very respected. Am I the only guy? But when I shift my focus and I sit down with Christ and, and I look at his word again, I say, Lord, you're right, I... I want to love her. You've told me I'm going to love her. I, I can get excited about it. I got a mission now. I'm on a mission to love my wife the way Christ wants her to be loved. I'm going to do this and I'm going for it. Whether, and she can respond or not respond, doesn't matter. I'm excited because I'm serving Christ today. And you know what he told me? In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, he says therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always abounding in loving your wife. For your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
Wives, treat that man respectfully, whether he acts like it or not. Do it because you're serving Christ, not so you can get something out of him. And you serve Christ that way, and it's a ministry. Now, what do you think happens in a marriage where husband and wife start serving each other because Christ has led them to, and they're serving Christ under the direction? Do you think something happens? Now, we live in a sin-cursed world, so positive things don't always happen. But most of the time, good things come, and I guarantee you what will come from it. Even if your spouse finally says, forget it, I am out of here, and they walk away, and you go through that terrible thing, you will have grown knowing that I know how to serve Christ, and I serve Christ faithfully, and I'm in the center of his will here. So listen, young people, can you see how this works for you? You can start working on your marriage today. Learn to serve Christ in the lives of other people. Serve Christ the way he tells you to serve others. It'll prepare you for marriage. So here's here's how I want you to think about this in your marriage. My marriage is a ministry. That's what I want you to think. My marriage is a ministry. It is how I serve Christ. Not necessarily the only way, but it's a way I serve Christ. I serve Christ by loving my wife the way he tells me to. Wives, you serve Christ by respecting your husband the way that he tells you to. You serve Christ. But it's even more than that. It's also how I show Christ to the world around me. We, I didn't really go into that too much, but did you see the picture? In fact, let's look. Would you look back there? Let's look at verse 33. Excuse me, verse 32. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what he's saying here is that in your marriage, your marriage is supposed to show something about Christ. In my relationship with my wife, my love for her ought to show her how Christ loves us. And her respect to me and submissive attitude toward me ought to show me how I am supposed to submit to Christ. And then there's something about a marriage, when you get around a marriage that operates this way, you see it, and and whether you consciously aware what it is or not, you realize there's something more to this marriage. There's something here. So, I'm gonna go back to an old uh, saying, you know, the best marriages are made in heaven, right? Well, the best marriages really are made in heaven. In other words, they have a heavenly pattern, the truth from heaven, lived out in this life. And and what happens when we go to heaven and get God's pattern for marriage and surrender ourselves to it and live it out, we end up with a little bit of heaven on earth. Your marriage can get good. Okay, heaven on earth. Your marriage can get really good. It really can. There is hope for your marriage. It can become better and better and better. And as you live this out, go ahead to that next slide if you would. As you live this out in your life and you begin to love her like Christ loved the church and she's respecting and submitting to you like the church does to Christ and and it's kind of like comes to life and starts to happen in such awesome ways. Just focus in here, folks, okay? As this happens, the marriage begins to grow and begins to to take on a life of its own. 
And when this happens, folks, if we could put a magnifying glass over this marriage to see, you know what we would see? We would see Christ. That's what we would see. So remember this, my marriage, your marriage, my marriage is a ministry. It is how I serve Christ. And it is how I show Christ. But now can we take one more step? Let's get a bigger vision. Because it's not, when I'm doing this and my wife is doing it, it's no longer two separate people doing it. It's us together. And we say, our marriage is a ministry. It's how we serve Christ. And it's how we show Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that with all the stuff we try to cover today, I pray that if, if we get nothing else here, that we would get that we need to serve you in the lives of others. And if we're married, that means we need to serve them in our marriage. You're worthy of being served. And when we do it right, Father, our marriages become such great blessings. Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know your son as Savior, who hasn't made that decision to receive Christ as Savior. This is all kind of foreign to them. I pray that you'll draw them powerfully to yourself. I pray they'll ask someone about it and we can tell them how to have a relationship with you. But God, please strengthen our marriages. Help us to become devoted to you in our marriages. The young people here today pray they become devoted to you and serving you in this way so when they enter marriage, they're already doing this. They already know what it means to serve somebody else for you. I pray you'll rescue those marriages here, Father, that are on the brink of going under and that you'll strengthen the rest of us and you'll bring great glory. I pray people will see our marriages, Lord, and want to say, what in the world's going on here? How can I have it? I pray for that, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to dismiss here. Just let you know that in the next hour, I mean, we'll have a time of fellowship here, coffee and some refreshments. And then um, out in the foyer, we're going to continue our Know Your New Testament survey. Uh, we're still in the letters in the New Testament. In here. We